Hello and welcome to Let's Get Psyched, a program that explores the controversial and challenging issues from a psychological and psychiatric perspective, as well as the implications for clinical practice. I'm your host, psychologist Dr. Aaron Parks of the University of California Riverside's Counseling and Psychological Services, and I'm joined by my co-host, child and adolescent psychiatrist, Dr. Toshi Yamaguchi. Hi, Tosha. Hi, all. Fourth-year psychiatry resident at UCR, Dr. Joshua Poole. Hi, Joshua. How's it going, Dr. Parks? And first-year child fellow psychiatrist, Dr. Al Atkins. Hi, Al. Hey, everybody. The views expressed on Let's Get Psyched are those of the speaker. They do not represent the University of California, UC Riverside's Counseling and Psychological Services, or UCR School of Medicine. Let's Get Psyched is not intended to replace mental health assessment and treatment. The information shared on the show is for educational purposes only. Well, on this episode, we're going to talk about prolonged grief disorder. And to do that, we have joining us Dr. Catherine Shear. Dr. Shear is the Marion Kinworthy Professor of Psychiatry and the founding director of the Center for Prolonged Grief at Columbia University School of Social Work. Dr. Shear is a clinical researcher whose work over the past 25 years has focused on understanding and treating people who experience persistent, intense grief, which is now an official diagnosis called prolonged grief disorder in the DSM-5-TR. She developed and confirmed via three large NIMH-funded studies the efficacy of prolonged grief disorder therapy, a short-term strength-based intervention that helps foster adaptation to loss. Dr. Shear, Kathy, thank you for joining us on Let's Get Psyched. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to meet you guys. Uh, so first, let's go, I just kind of thought we'd start out on just definition of prolonged grief disorder. Absolutely. Yeah. So I've got the DSM-5-TR desk reference in front of me right now. Um, and for those of you who don't know, it's this really 80s, 80s-esque teal shiny blue for those of you who have not um, yet purchased the dsm yes. so prolonged grief disorder um first criteria the death at least 12 months ago of a person who is close to the bereaved individual and for kids keep in mind this is at least six months ago then since the death there's been a development of a persistent grief response characterized by one of the two symptoms and these symptoms must be clinically significant, occurring nearly every day for at least a month. Either intense yearning or longing for the deceased person, or preoccupation with thoughts or memories of the deceased person. And then in kids, it notes that preoccupation may focus on the circumstances of death. Then, since the death, at least three of the following symptoms must be present to a clinically significant degree and occurring nearly every day for at least uh, the last month. You could have identity disruption, marked sense of disbelief about the death, avoidance of reminders that the person is dead, intense emotional pain related to the death, difficulty reintegrating into one's relationships and activities after the death, emotional numbness as a result of the death, feeling that life is meaningless as a result of the death, or intense loneliness as a result of the death. In addition, these symptoms must cause clinically significant distress or impairment in social, occupational, or other important areas of functioning, and the duration and severity of the bereavement symptoms clearly exceed expected social, cultural, or religious norms of the individual's culture and context, and these symptoms must not be better explained by another mental disorder. Okay. How is that different from just grieving really intensely because you are really close to someone. Maybe Kathy, could you? Yeah, sure. It's a mouthful, isn't it? You did it. It's, um, yeah, that was a great presentation of the criteria and they, and you know, they're not really, they are, I guess, written in not stone, but that eighties thing, but they're, 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 <laughs> they're, they're what 
they're what exists right now. Um, the 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 reason it took so long to get them is because it was hard to figure out exactly what they should be. But but that said, um, the idea of pro, of of some kind of, of of grief that just people couldn't get kind of past that just took over their life and and um, has been around for a really long time. So there's a story behind how it finally got into DSM. But let's just say that the the way that this differs from what you might call more ordinary grief, although grief is never ordinary, but you know those kinds of usual ordinary um, words to describe it is that in you know anybody who's grieving, anyone who's lost anyone close knows that grief doesn't end. It really doesn't end. In a sense, it doesn't end ever, but it doesn't stay the same either. So grief is really the response that we have. It's really the experience of the loss in the moment is what mm. what grief is. And that changes over time for most people. It changes as we, basically, as we come to terms with the loss. And people who have, some people just can't come to terms with it. And then what happens is that, not that we have those symptoms that you that you mentioned, uh, Toshi. Not that not that people don't have those. They all everyone has those, but they but they're sort of off and on, and they generally over time diminish over time. Whereas with someone with prolonged grief disorder, that doesn't happen. So we've seen people literally thirty years after someone died, and they still are feeling you know, their their lives have come to a standstill and they have, are still feeling really most of those symptoms every single day. And so they, mm-hmm. they go to work and they're, they function like automatons, but they're not engaged. They're not, they never have gotten re-engaged. In so we have a video of someone who, she comes home and every night cries, just lays on her couch and cries, goes to work because she has to works and probably doesn't cry during the day, but then she comes home and cries every night. So that's what's different. Kathy, can you mention, uh, this may have, forgive me if this was in the intro, but I want to make sure that both I and the audience know, can you mention a little bit about your journey and your role with this diagnosis and in the creation of this diagnosis? Sure. So I was um, I was doing anxiety disorder research. That was the first half of, of my career, and um, and colleagues were studying bereavement related depression actually, and um, um, <laughs> colleagues were studying bereavement related depression, and and they and they were not finding that they were finding that this was different and they were also finding that interpersonal psychotherapy which has even a grief focus if you're familiar with that it, it it's a really good treatment for depression it has a grief focus and it wasn't helping this constellation of symptoms that we just heard about and um so they started thinking about it as maybe it was more like PTSD, more like a stress response syndrome, which is actually accurate, I think. But so they came to me because I was the head of the anxiety disorders unit at that time. And and um, I also, by the way, had an interest in attachment relationships that and how they related to anxiety disorders. That was sort of longstanding. And that sort of the two came together. And I got really interested in how to help these people. And I started doing... I, I actually reached out to colleagues who did CBT of, of um, prolonged exposure for um, 
PTSD. And the first thing we did was prolonged exposure. We just did the three component um, components, prolonged exposure, imaginal exposure, rather, um, in vivo exposure and, and symptom monitoring. That's really what PE is. And we did that and we published a pilot study around 2001 and um, it was very successful. And then we started sort of, and meanwhile, I was reading the literature and learning more about grief and seeing a lot of patients. And we, um, we ultimately evolved that to a little bit more, a little bit more integrated therapy that um, we studied in three NIMH funded trials and um, all of them comparing this treatment to what we now call prolonged grief disorder treatment to um, IPT for depression or antidepressants for depression. And the results were clear in each study. They were pretty much the same. And so we, we had a, a condition that was responsive to a targeted treatment, but not to treatment for depression, which is what most people sort of conflate with grief. And so that work became part of the foundation. And meanwhile, the person who had asked me to um, to try to work on this with them was a, a, a um, sociologist named Holly Priggerson, who started developing criteria sets that evolved over time. But um, it, eventually they made a proposal to the DSM that was for a criteria set that only identified about 40, um, I'm sorry, didn't I, so identified about 60% of the people that had come to us in our studies for for help and that we, you know, we, we assessed to be, to probably have this condition. And so we decided we better develop some, you know, see if we could add to this and sort of start to interact. And that group wasn't too interested in interacting with us. So we ended up, you know, just presenting different proposals that were not that far apart, but the DSM committee couldn't quite resolve that. So they, they asked us to do more research and that's kind of how the whole thing evolved. But we, we've always played a major role in this. Just to clarify, my understanding, Kathy, is that you were kind of the lead investigator bringing this to the table of the DSM committee? Um, in the end, our our group was, but the the, the group that are really Holly Priggerson herself and her, her personal study that she did um, with um, a small group in, in New Haven was the, you know, she, she was really also very instrumental. And how long have you guys been proposing this to the DSM? Why is it DSM-5-TR that where it made it? Because actually we, we first proposed it in 2010, I think for DSM-5. Wow. And the DSM-5 committee, as you may know, um, really actually thought there was a good evidence um, to include it, but they couldn't resolve the differences in speci- which specific criteria and how many of them. I mean, one of the things at issue, for example, was avoidance of reminders of the loss, which if you know any of, if you've ever seen a, a patient clinically, that's a big deal for them, but they, but it, do- it doesn't perform very well psychometrically unless you do a whole, you have to do a whole questionnaire or a whole interview around avoidance in order to get people to kind of connect with it because people avoid avoidance. Um, so, so, you know, the, yeah. so that's really what happened and they put, but what they did is they put it in the, in section three of DSM-5 and they, and also we, we had kept the name of 
complicated grief instead of prolonged grief disorder. Um, and, um, and so they couldn't decide between that. So they decided to call it persistent complex bereavement disorder, the committee. Right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So Kathy, um, you mentioned another group that it sounds like maybe, uh, there were some issues between you and that group. And I imagine that's something you're, you may be trying not to talk about, but I do see it sort of as my job to ask you sure. uh, <laughs> what happened there and, and what was there. Um, yeah. Yeah they were they were basically not clinicians and they really were um they were convinced that they were right so we kept trying i mean we kept trying over and over again to engage them in a conversation and um they they were just convinced they were right um and so we couldn't really talk to them but you know but we did we did take what they did seriously um and you know and we kept working to try to try to bring things together and eventually we succeeded in doing that through the committee yeah what was sort of the hallmark difference between the two groups like what what did it really boil down to um it really boiled down to whether the um the main thing was what which criteria as i said so there were a few criteria that we kept seeing were very prominent one was loneliness and the other was avoidance that were being omitted and then and so we we felt like you know we should do something about it. we should like talk it over we should it, it, it needed to be in the mix before the a final decision was made and the other was um was avoidance as i said and oh i'm sorry the other issue was um the other issue was how many of the criteria so they were saying that there were i don't know i forget how many they had i think nine or so criteria and they they thought there should be at least five of them I, th- I don't remember the exact numbers but they were very it was a very restricted um number and um and, the, and like i said the problem we had with that was that 40 percent of the people who had responded really strongly to this you know differentially to the treatment were not included in that so um i, I have another yeah i have sure. another question were you involved in the icd-11 um diagnosis um I was somewhat involved. I think our our point of view is more represented in the ICD-11. Um, Andreas Merker also. And if you're just joining us, you're listening to Let's Get Psyched on KUCR. And we're talking with Dr. Catherine Shear about prolonged grief disorder. And Tosha, you have the next question. Yeah, I just wanted to go into more of the ICD-11 distinction. So ICD-11, I think the time frame of symptoms is different where the DSM-5 is 12 months since death. And if I'm not correct, or if I'm, I'm not sure if I'm correct or not, but it's six months in ICD-11. Why, why is there that distinction? Um, so that's, you know, that's another issue with grief that, you, you know, how long should it be? And we don't really know the answer to that. There's really no good data. We actually agreed with the six months because we, again, we see people, six months is a long time to be just grieving at the same level, you know? I mean, it's, we grieve for more than six months, of course, but we um, don't grieve at that same level. So, and ICD-11, so there's there's one more piece of this, which is that, a psychiatrist named Marty Horowitz, who you guys may know, I don't know if you know, he did a lot of work. He's up in the Bay Area and he's, he, um, but he's um, of an earlier generation and, but he did a lot of work with stress response syndromes and with grief. And he was the one that proposed the first 
criteria set for um, this condition. He called it, uh, I think he called it pathological grief in DSM-4. Uh, DSM mm-hmm. And then and they they almost accepted it because it was again it, it's oh. pretty convincing that there is a, a group of people like this but then um alan francis was the chair of that right of dsm4 right, right. and he was very he was very interested in bringing a research perspective so he insisted he said there wasn't enough research behind the horowitz um proposal and so they went Marty Horowitz then went and developed a criteria set, which looks a lot like the ones that we now have, actually, mm-hmm. and proposed it formally. Um, no, he didn't. He proposed it in in a paper in 1997. It's it's in an American Journal of Psychiatry paper in 1997. It's a criteria set, and they did a nice job, you know, um, very thoughtfully and very rigorously identifying these criteria. But the the sample that they drew from was a newspaper. Um, ad that they, you know, they just, it was not a random sample. So the only random sample that was used in pretty much all the, well, there's some in in Europe, but um, was the ones that, was the one that Holly Priggerson did in, in the, but it was Connecticut, it was all Connecticut widows. So it wasn't, it also wasn't exactly a representative sample, but it was at least a random sample. Okay, so so you you mentioned a little bit. Okay, so so wh- before the show, I had heard that like one of the reasons you were excited, and we're we're very grateful to have you joining us. Excited to come on this show is is there's been some criticism of the diagnosis, both from people who know about the diagnosis and from maybe general public folks who who haven't actually read the criteria and don't realize just how severe you really have to be to get this diagnosis and be treated for it. Um, uh, you mentioned Alan Francis, who, who uh, we've had on our, our show a few times. Um, he wrote a letter. What do you think of the letter? Uh, I'd love to kind of start with that. And what, what do you think are some of the more um, valid criticisms? Or we can we can let's just start with the letter. Um, the letter, as I recall, just basically says that we're pathologizing a normal human. Re- I mean, that's in, in so many words. I think he says that. Right. I mean. Am I missing anything? And then he goes on to talk about how, you know, we do this all the time. And basically, this is this is his his belief. I think it's truly his belief. And he, you know, it's not totally wrong. We have to be very careful that we don't take advantage of people. I mean, this is not for us. We don't diagnose people for us. We diagnose people to try to to develop and test and use and learn and whatever all the different ways that we do it to help them and um it's a very cynical point of view sadly i mean i think there are reasons why there's cynicism there but there's a lot of cynicism um Mm. around you know why do we do this well it's for the drug companies it's for you know it's for um do you think any of that cynicism has merit are there points in that cynicism that you think are are valid or would you say overall not really no, I, I mean, I I think absolutely there are valid points. There, there to me, they're they're sort of um, reminders in a way that because we've been we've been in an era. You guys probably be, it was before your time too, but when when pharmaceutical companies had way 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 too much mm. sway in medicine in general and in our field as well, and so I think and and Alan kind of grew up in that 
period, actually. And mm-hmm. he experienced that period. He probably had some, you know, some, he probably had contact with pharmaceuticals himself in a way that he's probably not that excited about. We all have. I mean, I think we all of us mm-hmm. who lived in that time and did research in that time had some, you know, interactions. That's just the way it was. And so I think it's absolutely good to keep reminding us. It's just that it's not the whole story. That's what we have to keep in mind, that it's not the whole story. And so, yeah. So what have you seen as the reception to this new diagnosis in the DSM-5-TR? Actually, we've seen a lot of very positive reception. And we've also seen criticism. The criticism comes partly from... I would say three three main groups. One is people like Alan who are really pretty cynical and who are very worried about overdiagnosing just in our community. They don't think it's good for our culture, and I think we should take them seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, the the second group are people who really don't understand. Like Dr. Benjamin Sadok. Do you guys know who he is? He he uh, wrote a, a famous textbook. Yes, of Sadak and Kat. Yes, he wrote a letter to the to the um, New York Times on April second, saying we don't need this diagnosis. A few people get depressed, but everyone, you know, but grief is a normal reaction. This is pathologizing. It's just simply uninformed because there's huge amounts of data now that shows that this is not depression. Actually, could you go into it? Can you distinguish for us what your research shows? What how prolonged grief disorder is distinct from depression and PTSD? Right. So prolonged grief disorder really is um, a unique, a unique experience. Grief is a unique experience. It's it bears some resemblance to depression and to PTSD, but it's unique, right? And it's what makes it unique is that you've lost, in this case, a person that you have been very close to. So that's that's the criterion A for the the diagnosis. Mm-hmm, you have right. to, someone has to have died. In fact, we know that grief occurs after other kinds of losses. There is good evidence in the literature for that. We all experientially know it, but let's talk about loss of a loved one. I don't know if any of you have had that experience, but anyone who has had that experience knows that when that happens, that person just fills your mind. Care about that person, yearning, longing, preoccupation it all goes together that's what it is that's it's that's you know and then of course you feel just about every emotion you can you feel sadness you feel anxiety you feel anger you feel um, guilt sometimes shame even gets in the mix embarrassment um, depending on how the person died but so you have all of that and then and you you also your sense of self is undermined because we define ourselves in part by these people so it's a it's a right it is all focused on the absence of this person. That's very different from depression when um, people, of course, start to think that the whole world is bad and everything about the world is bad and everything about themselves is bad. I mean, you know, we, it, it's, and there's sort of no hope. And, um, and so then, but the, the emotions of sadness are shared. The emotions of anxiety are shared. The emotions of, of, um, of anger are, are shared. It's really the focus of the of the concern, basically, that is always. Directed. One thing, sorry. 
No, go for it. Well, I was just going to say, what about PTSD? How how do you distinguish it from PTSD? So it's more similar actually to PTSD in a way because it because it's an event. You know, it starts with that's anything about depression. It doesn't always it can, but it doesn't always start with an event. This starts with a a very clear event. PTSD starts with an event that occurs and is over. I mean, for the most part, let's say that it's a threat to a personal threat. This is a loss which is the beginning so the event is the beginning of a lifelong you know of a of now we live in a world of absence as opposed to a world that's maybe more threatening but more threatening in specific ways that would be ptsd the intrusion the intrusive symptoms we we see intrusive symptoms in um grief as well but they they tend to be um more mixed in their affect again that sometimes they're pleasant intrusions because they're intrusions about the person and not the and not the um, event and similarly avoidance is, is pretty different it's 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 not just cues of the death my thinking is there has been i feel like grief has just been on the lips of our country recently um yeah in the zeitgeist and i mean things have been going viral in pop culture, such as in, I think the first time I recognized it was watching WandaVision, actually. I don't know if you guys remember WandaVision getting really big, but in WandaVision, one of the themes was about grief, and in it, Vision says, what is grief if not love persevering? And then a little bit after that, Andrew Garfield went on The Late Show, and his interview went viral because he was expressing, he was talking about his grief about his mother's passing, and he said, I hope this grief stays with me because it's all the unexpressed love that I didn't get to tell her. And that went viral. I think that right now our nation and for the last few couple of years has been in a state of grief because of COVID. You know, everyone knows someone who's passed from COVID or um, because of, Aaron mentioned earlier, gun violence or because of police brutality. I feel like grief has been on our minds a, a lot recently and and people want to know more we don't feel like we know enough about grief and we we want to know more about it yes <laughs> that's very true <laughs> and <laughs> so if you if you um look on our website our we used to have this as just a, on the homepage, but our mantra at the center for complicated grief is that grief is a form of love that's how we that's how we see it so i mean this show has been about diagnostic criteria but it, we could do a whole show on what is grief because yes. grief is really interesting it really is an, an, an yes. interesting um kind of phenomenon and i think it's so important because if we didn't have it or something like it what would we do i mean everyone needs the people that they you know that they're closest to and they lose them and so we have to be able to deal with that right so grief is part of the way we deal with it that's another big difference from ptsd and depression is that we we have much more ambivalent feelings about grief than we do about depression or about ptsd i i do find it interesting um we were briefly talking about before the show sort of the the parallels between how PTSD got into the DSM and how prolonged grief disorder seem to have these strange parallels. And then they seem very, uh, not etymologically, but they kind of share a, a basis and like grief is a lot like trauma. And I've heard you mention this a couple of times now, and I'm wondering, I, I don't know if we have enough time to get into the treatments of it, 
but do they parallel at least in a broad sense maybe we can't get into specific i think we're gonna i think we're gonna have to talk about we're gonna that. have you back yeah, yeah. okay <laughs> but but um yeah i mean the uh, the the big thing about it is that that both are centered around an event again that is that is um not outside of the usual range of human experience in the sense that most we know most people sometime in their life even do experience trauma um but they but and certainly experience loss so we all we all experience it but it's still it's always it's outside of our usual day you know like if we're, if we're going through our day and we and someone dies i mean that's a that's huge, right? And the same thing if if you know if there's an earthquake or something horrible happens. I mean, it it's so it sort of stops us and turns us another way, and we have to deal with that, right? We have to sort of deal with a sudden change in our in our lives, really. And that's true even if we know someone's dying. So it's a big change, and that's probably one of the things they share. And the, and so there's a normal reaction. I think that's the point: is that it, it makes it harder to find that place where we might call it a disorder of some sort. That's a whole other topic too. <laughs> you know, what should be disordered? <laughs> right. Thank you for addressing that. And that's all the time we have for this edition of Let's Get Psyched. We've been talking with Dr. Catherine Shear about prolonged grief disorder. Thank you very much to our co-hosts, Drs. Toshe Yamaguchi, Joshua Poole, and Alan Atkins. If you have comments, questions, or suggestions for the show, you can write to us at let get psyched on kcrgmail.com. And you can also listen to past episodes of Let's Get Psyched on your favorite streaming platform, as well as enjoy an extended version of the show. And if you like tonight's show, please post a review and follow us. This episode was recorded remotely in our homes. Our producer is Elliot Fong. I've been your host, psychologist Dr. Aaron Parks. Tune in next week for another edition of Let's Get Psyched. Mm-hmm.